0: Good
1: afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday time for our crack strategy panel. We're waiting a fiscal update later today and people are wondering if there will be anything to address rapidly rising inflation, which is top of mind for many of us. And then there's trade tension with the U.S. It's enough to dispel a lot of the relief Canadians experienced, at least many Canadians, when Joe Biden took over the presidency. But there are issues with their electric vehicle uh, subsidy and also with that longtime irritant softwood lumber, in addition to all kinds of supply chain issues, which are not related to politics. Uh, meantime, the COVID situation is worsening just as we're headed into the holidays. And that, of course, ends up being political. So I'd like to hear from you. What are you thinking about? Are you more worried about COVID or about money or both? Um, and what do you think with all of this converging as we head into the holidays? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's bring in John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleshman Hillard High Road, Charles Souza, the former Finance Minister for Ontario and MPP for Mississauga South, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. And Karen, we'll start with you. You got your booster. You're um, happy. Well, no, sir, I have my appointment for my booster. Oh, so I'm happy oh okay. That because even yesterday, that was a
2: challenge to secure. So oh, yeah! As of <laughs> next Wednesday, I'm all good to go.
1: So I'll be superhuman. Oh, okay. What? When are you getting it? Next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, w- what about John and Charles? Do you have it already? Or are you getting it? <laughs>
3: Well, I um, I was like uh, like Karen and others, I would imagine like millions, of, I'm sure Ontarians. I went uh a Monday to the website and, and uh and obviously there were problems. Understandably I think it happened last time when there was uh, a crush of people going on, but I uh met, called the one eight eight number and uh and was able to get an appointment, but mine's not until January the seventh. <laughs> so Karen was wow. lucky to get it next week, but uh you know glad that at least got an appointment and i don't know about you charles
4: oh i had my share this year i've, I've had my single shots both of them during the pandemic i've had mm-hmm. covid to boot and my oh. two uh just minute you had covid vaccines, or the covid I just shot had my flu shot about three weeks ago so i'm still scheduling my booster for sometime january february
1: okay did you say you had covid
4: i fought it yeah wow. I, my my little niece uh came by one sunday and uh niece, no less, and she caught it at, uh, at school, and she infected the entire family, all of us at home.
1: When was that?
4: Back in, you say, May of last year. Wow. Well, or of this year, I should say. So yeah, so uh, I struggled there for a bit, but we got through it, and it wasn't fun. All the more reason for people to get their vaccines and get those boosters. Yeah. Protect yourselves and protect others around you.
1: Well, well, uh, I was lucky that a family member who shall rename unnamed insisted that we all get a second AstraZeneca because he didn't want to mix. And that meant I got my booster almost two weeks ago.
4: Oh, good for you. Good for yeah. you.
1: <clears throat> oh, that's right. But uh, let us uh, move along. I mean, it, it looks like, just before we move along then, it feels like we're going to be seeing more restrictions. Yesterday, Kingston introduced... Uh, a pile of more restrictions because of their situation with Omicron. Now, they're only for a week, and I, I guess the hope is that if they hunker down for a week, maybe the week of Christmas will be okay. But but are you expecting the same thing to happen here, John?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I, we're going to hear that. Obviously, today, the top doctor um, um, here Moore is going to be making an announcement at 3 o'clock this afternoon, and, and I suspect it's going to be probably... You know, regarding a little bit more restrictions, or at least some suggestions of of being of, of folks being a bit more guarded uh, during the Christmas break. Um, you know, we're we're already talking now, and I think anecdotally, we've each had probably some indication from friends and others who were either going to travel into the U.S. over the Christmas holidays, and some of them have canceled those, and and also gatherings and receptions that people are are we're going to go to or had planned to go to that are now being. Limited in capacity, so I think folks are starting to do that on their own. But I suspect that what we're going to hear from, the, from Ontario's top doctor today is probably a little bit more of that, and and, and perhaps even more some some restrictions uh, as far as you know recommendations and suggestions for people not to, but may, maybe some some hard cold uh, restrictions that we're going to see. And I think it's something, quite frankly, Libby, that we're going to have to face. You know, we we knew that going into the winter months before. Omicron was, was an issue, that it was going to be a problem. Um, but now we're seeing this, you know, taking, I think, 20, 21 percent of the daily doses here, in Ontario daily tests, uh, positive tests in Ontario being being this new variant. So it's, it's obviously a huge concern that, that I think everybody should be worried about. And that's why I think the system crashed yesterday morning, uh, you know, because I think everybody wants to get the booster shots, as they should. Uh, which is
1: positive news. You know, the cases. system always crashes when it first opens for these mass bookings, so I don't see why anybody was surprised by that. I know that. I wasn't, yeah. Uh, Charles, do you think that we're going to get uh, some new restrictions?
4: Well, Nova Scotia is implementing new ones now. I mean, the surge is, is there, and everyone anticipates that over the Christmas holidays it's only going to get worse. And um, they'll take, try to take those precautions, but a lot of people are coming. There's a lot of activity a lot of events taking place, and uh, you know it's going to be a new world order. I think it's going to be a common thing for us to have to manage this, and we should have systems in place. We should have a sufficient amount of supports and care available to us. We should have those uh, those testing devices available to everyone right now to ease and facilitate their movements. And, um, you know, I, I I think the worst that we can do is hold people up in, air, in the airports because that's where you're going to catch it. That's where so much of this is happening. They shouldn't be allowed in unless they take all the restrictions ahead of time.
1: Well, you know what? I, looking at some of the pictures uh, in airports, I, I traveled. I think that we probably hit the sweet spot. We were in New York uh, kind of towards the end of November. And, uh, you know, the airport was better than it had been in the summer when we just went to B.C. Uh, but now I'm looking at pictures and thinking, you know, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Karen, do you think we're going to have restrictions? Well, you know, likely we will. But I, I think um,
2: one of the most important things that the government really needs to do is, is develop a better communication strategy. Because it. It, is, it, it becomes a little muddled So that for, for me. like I say the average person. For me personally, I'm like, okay, so everyone's gone, get, gone and become vaccinated. You can be vaccinated and still get COVID. We know that. Um, is it when you're vaccinated and get COVID, is it the same as when you're unvaccinated and get um, Omicron? And so it, it, it the government will need to be, I think, a bit more clear when they're putting these restrictions in what they're trying to achieve. Because there is a mass, movement to get our booster shots. There's a mass movement to get our kids vaccinated. And we can't be left wondering, does it matter? <laughs> because that, that's a very dangerous place to be in. Um, because if, if the reality is it doesn't matter, we're going to get COVID anyway. Um, we, we, that needs to be explained. Like you still need to get vaccinated. You still might get COVID. But if you get COVID and you're vaccinated, your 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 risk of contracting a serious illness is decreased by a significant amount.
1: Well they and, they're they're just teasing that out but that appears yeah. to be the case. I mean uh, mm-hmm. we're going to be yeah. talking right after I talk to you guys to Dr. Jeff Kwong who he he tweeted uh saying if any of you heard me yesterday saying this causes less severe disease please ignore that but I think that if you're vaccinated especially if you are triple vaccinated the the studies are just coming in saying yeah it'll be less severe. And, and we, you know, we just uh, heard from Masai Ujiri, who had his booster and got COVID, but, but it's COVID with no symptoms. And, and then I think we need to kind of be prepared for that world. Well, if you, if you
2: have COVID and you have no symptoms, but you can still be contagious, then, then what does that look like? Because, and, and, and it's a more complicated communication strategy. But I, I don't think we're at a point now where we can do the lockdown again. I think that we need to be, um, and you know, in fairness to everyone who is getting vaccinated and vaccinating their kids and taking precautions to just do a blanket lockdown, I, I, don't, I don't think we'll be um, well received. I think with, with the fact that we have rapid test kits, with the fact that we have booster shots available, with the fact that we have a very high uptake of vaccine, um, vaccine uptake, that I think we need a more nuanced strategy around. Okay, wh- what is it that we're actually trying to do? Because if we're trying to keep the emergency rooms from collapsing and the HR uh, or the healthcare system from collapsing, we all understand what that goal is. And so, it, it is it is limiting the the chain of transmission. Like you know, because because it's not making sense anymore. If everyone's going to get it, and we're all going to get it. If they're telling us we're all going to get it, <laughs> then 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 what does that mean?
1: Well, I I haven't heard that message. Well,
2: yeah, I've heard that You know what? We're, you know the chances of you getting COVID, even if you're vaccinated, are are are
1: are good. Uh, I I haven't heard that. Mm-hmm. i I mean I'm I'm pretty sure that's not the message though. Um, no, but even the right. stats, like half the people that get COVID are vaccinated.
4: Right. But they're uh, not the and, ones going to hospital. And I think that's the message that Karen but they're is trying all going to make. To hospital, Those anti-vaxxers right? are saying, we're going to get COVID, you're going to get COVID, so it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. It matters because it are putting other people at risk who need elective surgery or other issues.
1: Well, exactly. And we don't know the people. I mean, it, it's the the percentage of vaccinated people who get it is still right. not high, right? But with
2: Omicron, it's going to get higher.
1: Well, yeah, it will get it will get higher, uh, but hopefully the vaccinated people will have an easier time. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. I actually have a certain sympathy about the message that people can put out because this is the the, the data is just coming in. I mean, you know, they don't have the information, but well, that, I think that just makes it harder and harder to do the
2: blanket lockdown. So if there's going to be restrictions, I think they can put in some new restrictions to limit gathering but the lockdowns that's i don't i don't know how i don't know how that would
1: well i don't think happen. i don't think lockdowns are on the table you, could, you look at kingston they said okay uh mm-hmm. gatherings at five people but you know here it's it's kind of uh you know um ridiculous to say you have to limit your gatherings to 5 people but we can fill the Scotia Bank Arena Correct, yeah. with yeah. people who are taking off their masks while they're holding a drink for the entire time and shouting. Correct.
3: Yeah. And that, and that becomes the issue, Libby, I think, which, which is what we're, we're trying to sort of, I think the governments are trying to deal with, you know, all levels of government. And, and, and I, and I hear Karen's point regarding, you know, sort of the, the messaging and the communications. And I, and I suspect that's, you know, that's the same at the provincial level as it is at the federal level. I think that, you know, everybody is trying to grapple with, with this virus that, you know, was sort of new and is now spreading beyond, you know, beyond anyone's control or even prediction. And I think they're trying to realize that. Well, at first they thought it was it was more of a benign sort of you know vi- virus, and and it wasn't going to hurt. But now we're getting sort of data that people actually have died uh, with with this particular virus variant. So you know, and again, we don't know the health of that person or whatever. But all we know is, is that governments are trying to do what they can to be ahead of this issue as much as they can. The mixed messaging, though, that that where I do agree with Karen is that that does cause problems and it does cause issues for those who have always been hesitant on vaccines. And I'm not talking about the anti-vaxxers; they're never going to listen to anybody. Anybody has to say anyways. But there is a there's a chunk of the of the 15 or so percentage of people that aren't vaccinated that are very much in this sort of, sort of, you know, either needle phobia or whatever the case may be, but they hear these, these mixed messages. And I think that's what causes some of the problems and consternations. But I do agree. I don't think we're ever going to see another lockdown. People are just fatigued about this. And they're going to, I'm not sure they're going to even listen to the, to the lockdown if, if there is a lockdown. But I do think that some measured responsible, um, uh, you know, restrictions, I think people are on their own. Are making those decisions now. Let alone what the government's going to come back and say. With as I said, I've I've been to a couple of receptions where where the attendance was supposed to be at a certain number and it was almost half because people on their own decided they weren't going to go to it because of of the variant. So I think people are making those decisions themselves.
1: Well, well, John, you're probably more popular than I am. I I was going. I had one. Big reception that we were going to, and it was actually going to be outside, which I wasn't thrilled about. It was just canceled yesterday. And I think oh. uh, a lot of people who have, you know, relatively modest plans compared to what they're used to, I think like we're all like expecting cancellations. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I do see that, and I'm seeing that now more and more. But I, I would imagine, as as we're getting even closer to Christmas now, Libby, we're going to see a lot more of those, and uh, and we're seeing colleges and universities making decisions now, and and even the bureaucrats, the, you know, the the bureaucracy in Ontario, where they said you know they wanted people to go back to work, are now backtracking and saying, well, listen, I think we should actually encourage people to work from home <laughs> over the next little bit. And again, that's that mixed messages, right? That that people, the governments mm-hmm. are trying to deal with on a day to day basis based on where where this variant is uh, is starting to affect.
1: Well all I know is that when when it comes to Christmas dinner, I'm thinking, do I want a small turkey or a capon or or can we downsize to a duck? <laughs> Even the four of us can't get
3: together for a reception, Libby.
1: <laughs> no, no, we can't. <laughs> of which I regret actually. I was I was at some point hoping that maybe we could, but we can't. <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, yeah. and again, so not to belabor the point, but you know, again, are there now?
2: Are there still going to be rules for vaccinated or unvaccinated, or is it the same rules for everyone? In that limiting gatherings and restrictions, and you know, and 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 I think it continues to matter that there be a distinction because there there, you, there continues to be a need to explain why vaccines continue to be important.
1: Okay, let's um, let's move along. Uh, we've got this fiscal update coming. We we're really being, you know, hit over the head with inflation. You know, at first, well, you know, some things were up because of the pandemic, a lot of people uh, managed to save a lot of money because they were locked up at home. And suddenly, you know, we're seeing uh, predictions of, of a, another year of big increases in the price of food, the price of gas is through the roof. And, uh, you know, uh, for those of us who are old enough to remember, you, well, we remember inflation, Charles. Uh, you know, it doesn't look like the government is going to address it today, but it's, it's. I think it's looming larger and larger in people's consciousness.
4: Oh, it definitely is a concern for many. And it's not just Canada. I mean, people I mean, I, I know the, the opposition make a big deal of calling it the Trudeau inflation issue, but this is a world issue, a world uh, uh, phenomena. And the United States' inflation rate is around 6.8%. And Canada's around 47 And if you take out oil and other issues, it's about 3.3%. So it's growing. It's nowhere near Libya, what we experienced in the 80s and 70s. Um, and interest rates were extremely high. But it's good for listeners to understand that the government, the federal government, they deal in fiscal policy, right? They deal in taxing and spending, and then the governor, the, the Bank of Canada, deals in the interest rates and tries to control inflation and the and the the price of our bonds and our worlds and and the monetary policy, which is governed by the Bank of Canada, competes with other banks around the world. Other like the, the Federal Reserve in the United States is going to be posting their set of immigration targets, and they're having to resolve their issues as well. But the problem that we get into now is they're going to do a fiscal update. They're not going to make major decisions. Nothing new here is going to happen other than suggest that we need to continue to stimulate the economy, try to support the recovery, get out of the pandemic, and try to make life more affordable for everybody. But that's a big catch-all statement. The only way to make things more affordable is to promote the economy and promote employment. And this is why I think they're going to try to change the mandate of the governor of the bank by having him also be concerned about employment and jobs and the labor issues, which is a bit more of a call than normally is the case for the governor. But they're trying to find that balance. they to find that balance of how do you keep interest rates low while at the same time trying to promote economic growth? If you promote economic growth, you're going to stimulate inflation. So that's, that's the, the issue. And then... For the Tories to suggest, or the opposition to say, you know, less taxes is best, but then they want less deficits. Well, you you know, you have to cut spending if that's the case, and uh, we have to find a way to to, to hold everything to account. So they're going have to have to find that right balance There's priorities. And you got to pick what those priorities are. You know, national child care, fighting the protectionism in the United States, improving minimum wage, um, health care and pandemic and indigenous community, those are priorities that the government has set. Those, all those things stimulate inflation, though. And uh, we uh, we will have to see how they're going to pan out. But to limit to your point, we don't have the same rates that they were back some two decades, three decades. Well, yeah.
1: I mean, on the one hand, we were hit with huge inflation. But on the other, I mean, you know, younger people are so jealous of those cheap starter homes many people bought. But they came with 17%, 18% mortgages. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, if you socked a little money away, you got 17 or 18 percent on it.
4: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, so, John, I mean, uh, do you think that uh, the federal conservatives are making any headway blaming this inflation on the government when, in fact, it's worse south of the border?
3: Yeah, I would I would say, Libby, that if uh, if Charles uh, was the minister of finance, that would be in better shape. (laughs) 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 I I, I love
4: my Tory vote. That's great. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um, But, you know, I think this is again, we we talked about this, uh, you know, when, when the liberals got elected. Uh, in this most recent election, and and we talked about you know what some of the challenges or issues that they're going to face. Not notwithstanding, of course, the pandemic, which was always going to be a problem. But we talked about how these pocketbook issues and the inflation uh, was going to creep up and and become one of those issues that that we're going to see a lot of a lot of facetime and and and, uh, and and you know verbiage, quite frankly, from this government. And we're seeing that. We saw the announcement yesterday with Minister uh, uh, Freeland and. Um, in the bank of canada governor where they were talking about the very issues that charles was just mentioning with respect to having new policies or new mandates for the bank of canada notwithstanding just you know keeping inflation under under control which they've done but also getting more into the employment side of things which is again another major factor in, in determining in, in inflation and, and people spending but i think that you know in in the past when inflation went up it was a different time because nobody there wasn't a pandemic there wasn't two years of of you know, people working from home, lost jobs, businesses being shuttered. You know, that's the problem with this inflation that's happening now is that people are still coming out of 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 employment you know we're seeing the employment numbers going up which is positive and good for all of us but but people there's a hesitancy though because when they go to a shopping uh, you know grocery store and they're seeing that a head of lettuce is you know six dollars versus two or you know the, the the basket they would normally get you know is now you know 60 $70, 80 dollars more than it was before gas that's the the level of of, of anxiety that, that canadians are facing and i think this government has to deal with it and we're going to hear obviously with, the, with Minister Freeland this afternoon when she releases the, the fall economic statement, which I think is going to be very heavy on, on, on making sure that there's some you know, incentives for, for businesses and for people to get back to work uh, and less on the, uh, on the programs that we've been seeing over the pandemic as, as we're starting to see those wane now more and more, uh, and rightfully so.
1: And uh, Karen, what do you think? And, and uh, the provincial government here, boy, they are courting labor. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, the government, well, it's gonna, the government finds itself in a very tricky position with respect to interest rates and uh, monetary policy. And that right now the government is the biggest debtor, really. Um, and the debt that they have assumed is quite enormous for reasons that have been justified. But nonetheless, the co- as the cost of servicing that debt goes up, as much as it get, it's going to impact individuals and businesses, it's going to have a significant impact on the government. So the way the government sees itself out of getting out of this is to make sure that there's a gain in the economy that will improve taxation rates. And as Charles mentioned, that's a pretty tricky uh, situation to try to manage. But, you know, at, you know, the initial call for inflation is to raise interest rates, but there's there's lots of reasons that that could be very damaging for the government, for businesses, even for, for households, that even though there seems to be a lot of excess cash, Um, you know, the reason that households seem richer is because their, their their houses have raised in value, not because they necessarily have more money in their bank account. And then eroding that value is then tricky as well. So it's I don't envy the Bank of Canada, and I certainly don't envy the federal government. But I think the one thing that is emerging very clearly, which John pointed out, is that the federal government has to turn off the taps pretty quickly, because the amount of money that they're pumping into programs that don't directly contribute to employment is concerning. And it uh, you know, it's fueling consumption, not productivity, which ultimately will be a much bigger problem for the for the
1: economy. Hmm. Yeah. And what about uh, a couple of things? So uh, since we last talked, the government said they're not sending diplomats to the Olympics in China. Uh, does that have any impact at all, Charles?
4: Well, it's provided discussion. I mean, it, it's not going to impact the Games. It's going to enable our athletes to compete, which is great. Um, people will argue, well, that doesn't mean anything, because what what does that do to the Chinese? What do they care if the diplomats come or don't come? It's all about image. It's all about making a statement, and it's creating a discussion around the uh, the human rights violations uh, of China, and then they're going to retaliate, possibly. But it's just chatter. And uh, will it affect trade? Will it affect change in China? Will it enable them to... To hold people to account, will Canada be held to account? Will the United States be held to account equally on on matters that affect uh, us in in, in those violations? I hope so. And at least it creates discussion, nothing more.
1: Yeah, China said we should talk. We should not talk. Uh, And they uh, they probably have a point. but still i mean uh there's that there's a uh, trade irritants with the united states i mean this electric vehicle subsidy that is being proposed there or or uh, it it might already be in uh, i mean this sort of came out of the blue it seems like no one was prepared for it john
3: well, nobody was prepared for it. But I do think, though, that and and, and I agree with Charles on this point, which is, you know, a diplomatic boycott is absolutely meaningless. I think it does allow for some level of discussion and maybe a one-a-day, two, two-day story. But, you know, once the Olympics get close, uh, no one's going to care or even remember that there's a boycott or that politicians and diplomats aren't going to go to the games because everybody's going to watch the athletes. If there is truly going to be some level of a measure of a sanction and, you know, preventing uh, athletes from going to the games will will, will obviously cause some problems, but nobody wants to risk that uh, that uh, that scenario. But but nonetheless, at least it's a statement, and people are talking about it. But it'll be forgotten as we get closer to the Olympic games.
1: And and some athletes who are professionals, players of whatever, they're not going because if they get COVID, they'll have to be there for two weeks.
3: Yeah, and you'll see maybe some Olympic, some uh, some Olympian champions maybe make a stand, you know, when they win their gold and then they're on the podium. You know, you, I could probably see some of them making making some some political statements or stands. You, you might see some of that uh, during the games.
1: Yeah, their mics will get cut, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, they'll never be seen again. <laughs> well, ex- exactly, um, uh, Karen. So, uh, w- what do you make of uh, this looming trade war with the states? Well, I think, you know, back to the point about whether
2: the diplomatic boycott was worthwhile, I think only in as much as it um, allowed us an opportunity to stand beside the U.S. um, in making that statement around um, how we work together to achieve common goals. And so, you know, we've talked on the show about how Canada is not benefiting from a good relationship right now with the U.S. So figuring out how to repair that relationship is really important because the fact that we didn't know that this major initiative was coming down... The, the the pipe is 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 alarming in and of itself. Uh, you know the actual policy is alarming. The fact we didn't we were surprised by it is alarming, and it just demonstrates all the more why we need to spend a lot of concerted time and effort to to repairing the relationship we have with our southern neighbor. Hmm. Uh,
1: we're uh, just about out of time. I'm just going to bring one thing up really quickly, um, and that is uh, that the government agreed to pay 40 billion dollars to Indigenous. Children, uh, seems like that's the right decision, but in the context of all the money we're bleeding, I don't know. Um, Charles.
4: Yeah, it's a tough one. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, we have an obligation to make it right. Is that the right number? Will that be actually be dispersed? Cause there's probably a lot of conditions by which it has to be used, issued Uh, the timing of course is affecting us. Uh, and at, at a point we're all asking us to cut back. um, It'd be interesting to see what the details uh, have out there and how it would be distributed and how it would be uh, made. But, um, yeah, Uh, nobody wants to spend money, but at the same time, we want to make things right. And to whom are the money going to and to which families are being affected? I, I don't know the details. I really don't know how it's being dispersed.
1: Okay, well, we will have to leave that for another chat then. In the meantime, thank you so much, John Capobianco, Charles Sousa, and Karen Stintz. And we'll talk again next week before Christmas. We'll see what that's going to bring. Thanks, Libby.
4: All the best, everyone.
3: Bye,
1: guys. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Okay, we are taking a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about omicron and what we should expect i think we should expect uh, that we have to be flexible and some changes are coming uh let me give you the numbers to call because i bet people have a lot of questions 416-360-0740 toll free 1-866-740-4740 we'll be right back with dr jeff kwong
0: you're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio Heard weekdays from noon to one. Oh, no. Fight back with Libby Snyder on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. Well, as we mentioned anyway in the first segment, just as we're heading into the holidays, the Omicron variant is exploding. Epidemiologists project numbers doubling every three days. Ontario is reporting today 1,429 new COVID cases and five deaths. 95 are confirmed caused by Omicron, and that's the number confirmed, you know. The authorities think there are actually more that were caused by Omicron. Theresa Tam has warned that we're only days or a week behind the UK where Prime Minister Boris Johnson described the situation as a tidal wave. So scientists are rethinking their initial impression that the new strain may be more contagious but less virulent. So if you have questions, let me give you the numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 And our next guest tweeted, if anyone heard me in the media, I'd like to retract any comments that suggest Omicron may cause less severe disease. A lot is still unknown right now, and things look like they will be much worse than I thought. Uh, let me welcome Dr. Jeff Kwong, who is an epidemiologist and professor at the University of Toronto's Dalla Lana School of Public Health. Dr. Kwong, thanks so much for being with us. You're welcome. Well, at first, when we saw this thing out of South Africa and there seemed to be less severe cases, but but there were a number of caveats on that, right? Uh, yeah, like, I mean, it's, I think to keep in
5: mind is that uh, the population in South Africa is very different from Ontario. Um, you know, they are much younger and a lot of them, um, you know, people living in South Africa have had COVID infection and then also some of them have also been vaccinated. So I think, you know, the reason they're seeing um, milder infection is because a lot of them have kind of had you know, multiple exposures to the virus already, whether through infection or uh, vaccination.
1: mm mm-hmm. um, do, do you understand the, the difference uh, in exposure uh, with infection or vaccination? Because uh, we're being told that even people who've had COVID should have uh, their shots as well.
5: Yeah, the reason is that, you know, with the vaccine, we know how much, you know, the dose that each person's getting. Versus if you got infection, we don't know if you had a a mild infection where you had no symptoms or if you had a more severe infection uh, where you had a lot of symptoms. We think the antibodies and the the immune response is stronger if you have a more significant uh, infection. So that's the thing. It's like if we tell someone, oh, if you've had an infection, if you don't get the vaccine, we don't know how well protected they are. Um, So... I mean, they're saying that if you have infection and vaccine, that's probably best. Not to say that you should go out and <laughs> right. get back, uh, in, you know infected deliberately, but if you did, you should still get the vaccine. Is the bottom line?
1: Uh huh. And we we uh, so we have a very high proportion of people who've been vaccinated, double vaccinated, uh, but I guess not enough for herd immunity.
5: Well, the issue is with Omicron, we actually need three doses. And that's kind of been a bit of a game changer. Um, The data out of the UK suggests that with two doses, you get only about 40% protection against infection. And we don't know exactly how well two doses protect against hospitalization or death. We think, you know, based on um, the uh, serological studies, like the neutralization studies, where we use um, antibodies from um, people who have been vaccinated, we think that it might be, you know, extrapolating from that data might be 80%. I, you know, if we're optimistic, maybe 90%, but we just don't know for sure. So that's why, you know, the UK and, and everywhere else, they're, they're you know, scrambling to get as many third doses into people as possible, uh, because then at least it will boost um, the protection against Omicron, uh, you know, to be higher. So in the UK, they found that it's about 75% effective.
1: That's with the third shot. That's right. Um, we also recently heard about the first death from Omicron. Uh, what did you learn from that? Well, we know that,
5: you know, like hospitalizations and deaths are what we call lagging indicators. right? It takes a while from the time that you get infected to you get sick enough uh, to need hospital care. And so the, the challenge is that with how fast um, it's spreading, how quickly it can spread, um, you know, many, many more people have already been infected and then down the road like a week or two later, then you're going to see lots more people needing hospitalization. So I think that's we just need to be careful and not just assume that it's less severe um, because it's just too early to say uh, based on at least, you know, in Europe, they're starting to say um, we're starting to see data, you know, people getting hospitalized uh, from it. So I think we need to watch that very carefully and just be extra careful at this point. And and see, and you know, just be aware that, you know, when you have lots and lots of cases like people getting infected, even if you have a smaller percent of them getting very sick, that's still a large number of people. And we only have so many hospital beds, and it doesn't take a whole lot for our healthcare system to get overwhelmed.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were just uh, talking to our strat panel, and one of the issues is communication. And so, I, I mean, I know it's difficult for a lot of people. We're just figuring this thing out. But it's the, the uncertainty of it is a lot. Of, it's difficult for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, one of our strategists brought up, well, you know, what do you say to people who are saying, well, If I get, I'm vaccinated, and if I get my third shot, I'm going to get this anyway. So what's the advantage?
5: Well, the idea is that to keep you out of the hospitals, right? So if we can prevent severe illness, that's the main goal. Um, And, you know, we we just want to just maximize that as much as possible. And then if we can prevent infection, then that's great, um, because that prevents transmission to other people. So you know, by getting third doses to as many people as possible, we can hopefully limit the impact of this um, and try to keep the numbers uh, down lower and at least not make it uh, not allowed to spike so quickly that we have just a deluge of people uh, ending up in hospital uh, at the same time.
1: Uh, Do you think that that message is getting out?
5: Well, that's the hope. And uh, that's why I'm here right now that uh, Thank you. Know, you. That we get that out um, because that, that message needs to get out that, uh, you know, that Omicron is not just some very mild uh, infection. You know, it, it may be for some people, but uh, just because we're going to just see like like large numbers of cases in the coming weeks. Uh, we just need to do the best that we can against it. Uh,
1: and. What about restrictions? I mean, Kingston has put some restrictions in place just for a week to start with. Uh do you think we should put in place similar restrictions? They're limiting gatherings either indoors or outdoors to 5 people. Yeah.
5: I mean, you know, we know that restrictions work, but you know, nobody likes restrictions. And so, you know, everyone's really tired. We're just all fed up with this and um You know, I think that's the last resort is if we have to impose restrictions. I think there are are things that we can do, Um, you know, people, a lot of things people can do um, before we go to restrictions. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that we may get restrictions happening soon uh, because this is just, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a a really big explosion of cases.
1: Um, So what, what can people do? Well, you know, first of all is to reduce
5: the number of your social contacts, right? So if you're seeing a lot of friends and you might want to cut that, cut that down temporarily, or at least if you do, um, you know, do so with your masks on, uh, when you're indoors. And so make sure you have good quality masks and when you, especially when you're indoors to wear uh, those good quality masks. Um, you know, try to have, um, you know, good ventilation if you're in an indoor space. And uh, do do all the things that we've been doing already, but just we need to like be more um, stringent about them, and uh, you know keep our guard up.
1: What about the numbers you're referring to the explosion of cases, and we're talking about a tripling? uh er- oh, sorry, a doubling every three days. I mean, that's basically it's unprecedented.
5: Yeah, that's right. This is. Um, spreading a lot faster than any previous variant that we've seen. So doubling time is estimated to be between two and three days. Wow. And so within a week, you know, if you if you start off with, um, you know, 1,000 cases by the end of the week, you're already going to be at like 4,000 cases. And then the next week, by the end of the next week, you're going to be at like 16,000 cases or, or even more. And, um, you know, right now, like the ones that we're seeing, you know, in the statistics that we see every day, you know, those are people that got infected like, Five or six or seven days ago, right? Um, because it takes time for them to incubate infection. Um, then they, you know, they might feel symptomatic for a day or two before they decide to go get tested. And then take them. You know, sometimes you can't get a test right away, um, and, then, and then it takes the lab, you know, a day to do the test and then report it. So. Um, You know, the worrisome thing is that, you know, people getting infected today, there could be like 10,000, 15,000 people getting infected today. And then those won't be reflected until next week's statistics.
1: What about a lot of people are looking to rapid tests as an answer uh and uh you know we're hearing that school children are being sent home for the holidays with with rapid tests but some businesses have rapid tests on hand uh and and then on the other hand i hear from people say hey we can't test ourselves out of this problem uh, what is the role of those rapid tests not the pcr tests that have to go to the lab but the ones where you can get a result right away
5: yeah I mean, my, my thought on rapid tests is they're kind of like what we call a harm reduction approach, right? Like, if you are going to gather, then use a rapid test to make sure no one's not an infection. And, you know, we, we know that a lot of people can be, um, you know, who do get the infection uh, are asymptomatic. Um, I just saw a number, it's like 40% of people who have the infection are asymptomatic. So the rapid tests are really important for finding people who don't know they have in, the infection. And, you know, the things like when they're asking, you you know, if you have symptoms, you know, you're going to pass that symptom screening because you have no symptoms, but you may actually be carrying the infection. And then if you take your mask off and then other people around you are taking their mask off, um, then that's when uh, transmission can occur. So I think rapid tests are, are useful um, because we don't have unlimited PCR testing capabilities either. And, um, you know, now with case counts going up, you know, every... Transmission that we can prevent, you know, um, it will be helpful.
1: And w- speaking about the incubation, so what are the timelines there?
5: Well, it used to be that we thought that it was of uh, five days,
1: and um, but if we're seeing a
5: gener- you know, a doubling time of three days, then uh, my guess is that uh, the incubation period for crime might be shorter. So I haven't seen data confirming this yet, but that's just my suspicion that it might be a shorter incubation time. And that's why we're seeing um, such rapid spread. One of the reasons why we're seeing such rapid spread.
1: And when do you expect us to get uh, the the data that we need?
5: For what the incubation period is?
1: Well, for for all of it, for what the incubation period is, for uh, the general severity of it, all of that stuff.
5: Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, everyone's watching this. We're watching the other countries, and uh, I'm sure other countries are are, are going to be watching us as well. Um, you know, hopefully, in the coming days to weeks, I think the picture will become a lot clearer, and uh, will be. You know, I think in the best case scenarios, this is all a false alarm, and and we got worried over nothing. I, I don't think, I, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think we're going to see. A huge surge of cases and the only um, uncertainty is like how many hospitalizations or deaths are we going to see because of this.
1: And Dr. Kwong, what would you like to leave us with on this? Well, I think, you know, I, I don't think
5: it's all doom and gloom because we've learned so much in the past, you know, almost two years. And there's like lots of things that we each as individuals can do uh, to help keep ourselves and our you know family and friends safe. So I, it's just now it's a matter of, of you know, doing those things. And so I know it's really hard, the holidays, we all want to gather. um, But I think we just need to, um, you know, be smart about it. If we're going to do that, then, um, you know, just try to ensure that as many people who are gathering have the third doses, um, you know, and and use the rapid tests. If you are going to gather, have good ventilation and do all these things uh, to have a safe holidays.
1: Okay. Dr. Jeff Kwong, we really appreciate your insight into all of this. And um, yeah, what can I say? Thank you very much.
5: Okay. You're very welcome. Take care.
1: You too. Bye-bye. I know. We are taking another break. And when we come back, so, uh, you know, it's been a while since we talked about nursing homes. So first of all, there are new measures going into effect in nursing homes today for visitors to protect frail people. Also, uh, there's been an interesting uh, development in terms of a poll, a profit versus nonprofit. Uh, that's something that we've been talking about a lot. So we'll talk about that with Lisa Levin when we return.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back.
1: Lately, we seem to be hearing announcements about new nursing home builds every other day. Uh, According to a new Leger poll, though... 76% 76% of respondents said they'd like to see more not-for-profit homes being built in Ontario. As many as 81% indicated they were concerned about the number of for-profit homes. A uh, majority of people and more women than men said they really would rather be in a not-for-profit home. Uh, one of the reasons is that, you know, the record of what happened during the pandemic and even beforehand is better. In nonprofits. Meanwhile, the government says it, it is supporting the nonprofit uh, sector. Uh, so we will get into that. But meanwhile, the restrictions for visitors in long term care have been ramped up. That is good news, as we've just been hearing uh, about the predictions of a deluge of new cases caused by the Omicron variant. So, do you have questions about this? It's actually been a while since we talked about long term care. The number's 416 740 toll free 1 866 740 4740. Now, let's go to Lisa Levin, CEO of Advantage Ontario. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Libby. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm nervous. I'm nervous about this. Uh... This new variant. Uh, I don't blame you. What are the new, uh, more stringent requirements that have just gone into effect?
6: Well, they actually haven't gone into effect yet. Um, They're going to be announced this afternoon, uh, as far as I know. Um, I've been told what they are, but um, it's up to the government to announce it. Uh, And certainly it's it's welcome because we need to protect people in long-term care. So we're looking forward to that announcement.
1: Well... uh my understanding, what I read, tell me if I'm wrong, is that uh, it it used to be that people could go in just on the basis of a negative test, but now you're going to have to be vaccinated.
6: So once again, I don't want to, um, you know, make the announcement for the government. As far as I know, it hasn't been announced. I was just on a call with government. Um, I was told that Dr. Moore is going to be having a press conference this afternoon. Ah. So we need to wait. I know that CBC seemed to have an article out with some uh, elements in there, but uh, that was not an official
1: release. Okay, well, yeah. um, <laughs> I'm gonna assume that's correct because we get a lot of leaks about this thing. <laughs> um, uh, you know in but in the meantime, we're hearing and and the evidence is just rolling in that with Omicron, really you need three shots to be protected. and we know that um, a lot of nursing home residents, would you say that most of them or almost all have had their third shots?
6: Yes, most nursing home residents have had their third shot. However, uh, the vaccine mandate for staff is that staff must have two um, COVID-19 shots and that is no longer enough. And the government needs to make that change and they need to require um, within the proper timeframes, of course, as indicated by, um, you know, the medical officers of health that all staff need to have three vaccinations. And that is not something that currently is a requirement, and is concerning to us.
1: Well, it, it's also, I mean, uh, the the deadline for getting the second shot was put off. I mean, have, have when is it? It was if it, 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 was, it was yesterday. Actually. It was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
6: So um, we we really need government to move forward and require that staff have to have three vaccinations by whatever date seems to make sense, given when they would have received their their different shots. And the other thing we're starting to hear about is perhaps it would be a good idea to give long-term care home residents four doses, like a fourth dose, which might seem like a lot. Uh, You know, my first reaction was really, but we're hearing that the science table has recommended it for immunocompromised and we do know that evidence, yeah. I I didn't hear um, that. They just announced it's, it's Libby. It's very hard to keep up with this stuff. And this is all I do. And so, um, yeah, they, that, that has just been put forward. And so we know that seniors have um, a harder time sort of keeping their immunity. So I'm, I'm thinking that the next step would be to give them all four shots in long-term care because they're the ones that um, get really, really sick and, and pass away from COVID.
1: Well, you know, some of the math doesn't make sense to me, because for the rest of us, um, except maybe some immunocompromised, the the time frame was it had to be six months from your second shot to get your third shot. But you have people working who uh, got their second shot yesterday.
6: Uh, right. So that's what I'm saying is that I, I don't think that, once again, this advice needs to come from a scientist, which I am not. Um, and so I don't think that it would make sense to say if you got your second shot yesterday that you need your third shot tomorrow, uh, based on my knowledge of, of science, however limited as it is. So it would have to be within, you know, certain, um, you know, parameters that are scientifically determined. Uh,
1: but you know, what's your feeling? You say you're worried, um, have things kind of until this juncture, have things kind of been settling down? Yes, things have been settling
6: down, but now we're starting to see more outbreaks. We're hearing that Omicron is surging. I know that in Kingston, it's, it's quite bad. And I'm bringing my daughter home from school tomorrow. Uh, and we're, we're hearing all kinds of dire predictions about how fast Omicron can move forward and how the protections aren't the same with Omicron as they were against Delta. So we just cannot have another tragedy in long-term care again. And so, of course, I'm not suggesting if someone got their second dose yesterday to have their third dose tomorrow, but plenty of people got their second dose more than six months ago and have not had their
1: third doses. And we need to make this mandatory. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps prioritize healthcare workers like they were at the beginning? Yes, absolutely. Uh, anything, anything else? I mean, with regard to Omicron well, that you'd like to see?
6: You know, we want to see more testing going into the homes. We unfortunately need to start restricting visitors coming into the homes during the holiday season, which is the last thing anybody wants. But I think even more than that, the last thing people want is is to see widespread death in long-term care again. So it's that balance between, you know, uh, keeping people safe and keeping people socially, um, you know, stimulated and, and making sure that they can still see their families. It's a really tough situation for everyone and I think everyone is shuddering just thinking about this this omicron heading our way and a lot of people are in denial and still walking around without masks and going to large gatherings but we need to we as, as hard as it is, we need to realize that that this is here, this is coming and it's it's pretty intense.
1: Lisa, we're going to have to talk about your survey another day, but sure. what would what would you like to leave us with on uh, the looming Omicron and the long term care sector?
6: Um, I guess what I would just say is that um, we are looking to government to provide leadership, which we expect we're going to hear something soon, and to keep listening to the sector and the public, and to protect people in long term care. Um, I'm worried we're going to, we're going to lose staff if a lot of people get sick. And we need to think about how how to backfill that because homes don't have the capacity to just find staff. And so we really need to figure out how to prioritize it. And um, I just would ask everyone to, you know, stay as safe as they can and limit their gatherings um, this holiday season for the sake of of the rest of, of society. And I also I also want to just give a big shout out to the amazing, amazing frontline healthcare workers and management out there who have worked so hard through this entire pandemic who must be feeling even more disheartened than the rest of us. We appreciate you and we really value the work that you do.
1: Okay, that's all the time we have. Lisa Levin, we really appreciate your input and uh, we hear what you're saying. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. That's all the time we have for today. Jane Brown will be here tomorrow. I'll be back Thursday. Everybody have a great afternoon and evening.